0: Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 610th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution welcome welcome everybody greg peterson coming to you from the urban farm in the heart of phoenix arizona and <laughs> we're here with bill McDorman with rocky mountain seed alliance and yeah hello <laughs> hello <laughs> and yeah hello oh yeah. my gosh i was just pondering this just as as we came on the air we've been doing doing this i think for five years now it's hard to see seed chat and seed school
1: yeah, it's hard to believe, but it's been fun and it's been good, and yeah. I, I love, and it's growing. I think that people are trying to figure out how to get good information, and we try to answer questions. At least we do. We do a lot of BSing
0: here too. But <laughs> All right.
1: We try to have Don't fun. Say that
0: too loud. Don't say that too loud. <laughs> Let's see here. What have we got today? So. Your lovely wife, Belle, always sends me an email, usually on the Thursday before the seed chat, with what we're going to be talking about, and I usually pull that up about five minutes before we start. So tonight, squashes, melons, gourds, oh my, she says. These varieties make up the kirkorbit family. Did I say that right, Bill? You did.
1: There's no shame in pronunciation of botanical terms. That was okay. actually debated and voted on at the International Botanical Congress after a century of shaming people because they didn't pronounce things right. Oh, toma- Lord. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> they decided that they all generally knew what each other were talking about. Yep. No, no matter how they pronounced it and that that was the most important thing. So Right?
0: Yeah. So That's, that's about collaboration there. I love that.
1: You know, there are small groups of people, you especially find this in native plant societies in each state, that have their own pronunciations, you mm. know, for the Latin terms, especially. Mm. And that's how they get to know you. You know, if you're from out of town, they know immediately. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so laugh it off. There's no shame in it.
0: All right, cool. We'll, t- we'll take it. Thank you. Yeah. So Bell says this is the perfect time for most regions to consider planting cucurbits. And there are three. There are three species in this family, and each individual species will cross pollinate. Will not. Excuse me. Will not cross pollinate with the other species in this family. For example, you can plant butternut squash, pumpkin, and cushaw uh, melon in the same area without worrying about cross pollination. Although we love things, we do love things that cross and make new and delicious varieties. So what you guys have to know is this Saturday is Seed Up Saturday. And I just got Kari's presentation Uh for our Seed Up Saturday that is on creating your own varieties. And I'm really excited to listen to that. So there we are. We're talking about squashes, melons, and gourds. Oh my. Well, so a
1: couple of things. One is you probably I never feel bad about anything crossing anyway, right? And that doesn't mean it won't happen, even though you're planting different species. Mm-hmm. So what I think um, you were trying to describe is that many of the squashes that we that we know and love are actually different species. So the zucchinis are not related in a sense to the uh, uh, butternuts. But there can be crosses. We call those wide or wild crosses.
0: Oh, nice.
1: And there are a number of people out there that uh, not only uh, don't worry about that, they look for that. (laughs) All right. And you may come up with something really exciting. So I just want to get that straight. But if you have your own, you know, it's your own favorite family or heirloom zucchini or a variety that you've had around for a long time and you don't mm-hmm. want anybody to mess with it and you've been saving your own seeds, then it's okay. If you Generally, if you plant it with other winter squash in your same garden, you probably won't have to worry about that. And if by chance there is a bit of a cross, remember each seed could have a different father could get a different pollen grain. Oh, Squash is right. insect pollinated. And mm-hmm. insects can carry pollen as far as they go. So bees a mile or something, you know, the pollen may not last that long. Yeah. So if you happen to be growing one of your squashes and you want it to, as they say in the industry, breed true, you, know, you don't want it contaminated with somebody else's pollen. And it does get contaminated. You won't find that out till the next year when you plant it. But boy, will you find it out usually in a hurry, and so really? that's What's that the, mean? well. That means that it'll just look differently. Uh-huh. That the four different kinds of squashes have different shaped um, stems, different leaf shapes. There's all sorts of stuff that goes on. So if you see anything weird when you're planting your your squash the next year, and you want to keep it, you know, like it's always been, then you would do what we call rogue. You will pull out the off types, the ones that aren't like the ones you want. But it's pretty simple to do, and you can do it in, for many of them in a quite young
0: stage. So Right, they, they you know what they look like that young. Yeah,
1: it, it'll just look like a different
0: plant in some ways. Wow. And can you purposefully cross-pollinate different, I guess these are subspecies, right?
1: Well, no, they're different species.
0: Oh, wow. And right? what are the three?
1: Well, there's actually four. There's the angiosperms. The maximas, those are the big, I'm trying to think of the name, encompass most of the winter squashes, the big, huge winter squashes. Uh The machadas, which are more like a crookneck type shaped squash and then the pepos. And the pepos are the largest and the most popular. They have things like zucchinis and pumpkins. Zuc- and that's why we get pump right? Because oh, they're both right. in the same species and they can cross. Even though the fruits look differently, the plants are basically, you know, they're using the almost the exact same reproductive system. And that's oh. why they're classified that way.
0: Okay. Here's a question for you. We get a pump yeah. And we save those seeds and we go plant them. Do we get a pump zini again?
1: Well, if you love them, you would look for them again. You know, you're rolling dice yeah. and we'll look, you know, there's probably some of the offspring will have that and you mm-hmm. would have to save the seeds from those and plant them again. And hopefully you would get even more of them the next year and you would save the seeds from those again. And, you know, the rule of thumb is six or eight generations. Uh-huh. You, you could stabilize that line. And they sure. would most all of them would look the way you want. Yeah, these so are these are gross generalizations. Yeah, <laughs> by the way, yeah. But that's kind of how it works, and practically in a garden for eat edible purposes, that's a, a good rule of thumb.
0: Well, and you get to eat everything along the way. So yeah. you, to, you told me that a decade ago.
1: Right. Yeah, eat your mistakes. Yeah. That's why gardeners are so important to this whole bring back, conserve, and create diversity. Mm-hmm. The diversity we'll need, I think, for climate change, if nothing mm-hmm. else. Yeah. You know, as things change, you want more different kinds of things right. because something might make it. And so, yeah, have fun and create more diversity. And uh, as, especially if you can eat it, you know, that's a luxury that large farmers and market farmers and farmers that are growing for restaurants don't have. Somebody was saying that at the dinner table the other night is that, you know, once restaurant customers get used to their vegetables at the restaurant a certain way or... Way. Or if people go to a farmer's market and they know exactly what they want for their zucchinis to look like, or their lettuce, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, your sales go down if you don't have that. You can't afford diversity, but those of us at home can, and
0: that, and so we're the rightful stewards of that whole idea. So, if you were going to guess, this is kind of an off-the-wall question. I'm going to put you on the spot. If you were going to guess, how many? of these four species, three or four species that you're talking about, can we actually get seeds for?
1: Oh, they're in every catalog.
0: And how many varieties are
1: there? Ten. Hundreds, hundreds yeah. of varieties. Uh, yeah, let me just, uh, before we're done, I'll, uh, I'll get a l- little reference. I'll just read off some of, the, some of the wide range of things that there are, but it's mind boggling, the Diversity. differentiation. And squashes. I'm, when we, when I was at Bella and I were the directors at Native Seed Search, we had five hundred varieties of, of squash? squash. Of squash, oh. five hundred beans, five hundred squash, five hundred varieties of corn. That made up the bulk of the what? Yeah, the collection down there. And when you get into the oh. interspecies stuff and start letting them cross, you can come up with all sorts of new sizes, shapes, and colors. I mean, it's endless. And so. Yeah, it's a really great family to plant. So let me, I, I, before we go forward anymore, there's something that I wanted to, sort of an overview that I wanted to bring to this whole conversation Clear. that I don't think a lot of gardeners understand. And I didn't understand at all until I had a an experience. I was selling black zucchini seeds at my little seed company, High Altitude Gardens. And I was buying those seeds from one of the primary squash seed growers and breeders in the world mm-hmm. in Rocky Ford, Colorado. And it's a company called Holler and Company. And the Holler family run this seed company. It's one of the only family seed companies that came out of this great era, oh, you know, yes. 1930s, yep. that's still owned by the family. I only know of two. Of all the seed companies I've dealt with, a thousand seed companies, there's only two that are still there, wow. still family run. And so I was getting some seeds, black, this really great black zucchini seed from Holler, and um, and selling it to my customers. And I got a call one day from a woman who said, "You ruined my dinner." And I, I I said, "Excuse me? I wasn't even at your dinner. I I mean, I I probably have the ability to ruin somebody's dinner, but I wasn't even there." And she said, no, let me explain what happened is that, you know, we had chicken and potatoes, mashed potatoes and zucchini for dinner. And so we steamed the zucchini, sliced them up. I put them on the plate. And she said, you know, there's a little bit of juice that comes off them after they're steamed. Uh It doesn't matter. You know, after you cut them, then it's a little juice. That juice ran, you know, gets in under the chicken and over into the potatoes a little bit. That juice was so bitter that it ruined the dinner. Nobody could eat. And I'm going. Interesting. This is really interesting. So I called up Holler and Company. And and I'll never forget the phone call. And I had this verified because years later, I went to visit them all. And they still remember the phone call. <laughs> because I called them up and I said, I explained what happened. And I could hear the guy hold the phone away from his mouth and yell, we got the bitter gene. Oh, wow. And he goes, Bill, I want you to hold on for a few minutes. There's going to be some activity around here. And we'll try to figure out what we can do for you. Well, the story is there's a highly recessive gene in the whole cucubert family and that uh, conveys this bitterness on a level that makes things inedible. Mm-hmm. And it's an insect repellent. It's an uh-huh. animal repellent. It's a natural part of the wild plant mm-hmm. that this came from. And so over the hundreds, if not thousands of years, we've been domesticating squash. We've learned to breed that out. We don't want that because if it's there, we can't eat, but it's still there mm-hmm. and it's still one in a hundred thousand starts to surface. Wow. And that's why they were so interested. They immediately wanted to know the lot numbers and the lines and all this stuff so they could isolate where this was coming from in their own company because they were selling seeds all over the world. Yeah. So anyway, the thing that came out of that is for me, and I had, as I said, I went there and visited and we talked about this incident. And what they said was that they they got the family out there and there were uncles and cousins and people standing around in this, uh, in in their headquarters. And they introduced me to all the haulers, right? And he said, Bill, you're looking at 700 years of experience in breeding cuckoo birds in this room. Cumulative, lifetime, if you just add them all up, all the people around here that have been involved in this stuff. And he said, there's not a month that goes by where we aren't surprised, if not shocked at something we all didn't know okay so that's my overall so as you get into this i want you to realize there are they haven't figured all of this stuff out yet and you may run into things like the bitter gene or other things that surprise you or shock you that Mm -hmm. don't make sense well even the people that do this for a long time over generations Mm -hmm. still have that feeling sometimes so anyway i just wanted to liberate everybody
0: wow I don't even know where to go with that one. That's pretty amazing.
1: <laughs> well, if there's any, yeah, if there's any questions or you know, maybe um, people could write down their favorite varieties of the different, you know, of, of the angiosperms, the machadas, the pepos, and the maximas. You oh, know, let's get go. get JD, let's get the people out there to tell us which ones JD, are their favorite varieties. JD wanted to, you to repeat that. Oh, the the four species. Yes. Yeah, and actually, you know, I, you know, we have to disclose that there are more than that, you know. These are just the ones that have been brought into U.S. gardens and industry by and large. They're the the most popular ones. And there Mm -hmm. are crosses between them that are out there. So, What are they? The angiosperms. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the kushas. And we get a lot of those in the Native American community, especially here in the Southwest. Then there's the maximas. And those are like the banana squashes and the hubbards. And the uh, kabocha and the quarries that come from Japan. Mm-hmm. All right. So those are cucurbita maximus. And then we get the machadas. All right. Butternut. And that's like Waltham butternut. Butternut, but, yep. That's the most important or most popular of those are the butternuts. And then we get the pepos, which are the summer squashes, winter
0: squashes, um, pumpkins, and then some gourds. Deb says uh, she's impressed with a Canadian crooknet, crook neck grows prolifically and tastes great. And then she says, are you sure it is angiosperms?
1: No. A Canadian crooknick is most often used with the mashatas, uh,
0: okay. all
1: right, with the butternuts. And this is the problem with common names. Up in Canada, they got a different set of common names than we do down yeah. here. Down here, we crooknick is used for a pepo, right? Yellow mm-hmm. crooknick, which is like a zucchini.
0: Got it. One of my favorites is the uh, Armenian cucumber, which is actually a squash and not a cucumber, is it not?
1: Well, no, it's actually a melon. It's a cucumis. It's a completely different genus. So, (laughs) yeah, you got to be careful with that stuff, too. Well,
0: those are the ones. They'll get to be a yard long. Those are baseball bat size. Yeah. No, they're great food.
1: You know, these are they just don't look very good in grocery stores. I think that's why. And they don't box up or ship well. And so, you know, we have to sift back through all these uh, offerings that we can grow our own because our food supply or what we've, you know, been brought up to Uh be familiar with is really been narrowed because of industrial, you know, production, shipping, storage and presentation on grocery store shelves. And there's actually a lot of really great food out there if you don't have to do all that.
0: Right, so what What Deb says, she says, I mean, I doubt that angiosperm is any squash genus. So she was questioning the angiosperm and the squash genus.
1: Oh, well, it's a squash species. So here's here's the thing, that's a new name. Angios, It's cucubita angiosperma, oh. all right? And it was just changed, you know, a few years ago to be yeah. that. We didn't call it that when I was at Native season, and I'm trying to be modern. I've even forgotten. I'm having a hard time remembering what the old is.
0: There it is, cucubita angiosperm. Put that into the Google search, cucubita angiosperm. Maxima have also been developed. The yellow and orange flowers on cucubita plant are two types, male and female. Um, so there you go. What is the strangest funniest thing that you have found in the realm of squashes wow that's a
1: good question I have to think for a second
0: I figured well you know one of my favorite things that's happened
1: is that you know Dr. Carol Depe who we talk about on this program a lot who wrote the really great book um how to breed your own backyard garden vegetables
0: Mm -hmm.
1: had an unwanted cross in her yard
0: Really? She loves crossing, I thought. She
1: loves, well, you know, it was unplanned cross. She loves yeah. crossing. It wasn't unwanted. It was unplanned. But ended up with a new new variety she calls Goldini, which oh. is, yeah, it's a beautiful yellow zucchini that you can, and it's very delicious. And, but if you forget to harvest or can't find some of them, which is inevitable, right? Yep. You go back out and there's this huge, big monster right. out there.
0: Let me guess. It becomes a winter squash.
1: It becomes one of the most incredible oh. winter squashes you've ever seen.
0: Wow. And so she,
1: yeah, it's the, you know, so for her, it was the, like the perfect thing.
0: So let's talk about that real quick. The difference between summer squash and winter squash.
1: All right. Summer squash, we pick fresh, usually cook and eat immediately. Uh-huh. Winter squash will store. You can pick them and put them in a cellar. And depending on the conditions or where you are, whatever, what your needs are, um, months. Some people get some of the winter squashes to last clear until the next spring.
0: Wow. Yeah, I just, I grew one last fall and we just consumed it about three weeks ago. So it was easily six months. Joanna is looking for a pumpkin that will grow in zone three. Any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I do. I've got a couple of them. I would go to Miss Penn's Mountain Seeds.
0: I was going to say, I'll bet you Penn has a, uh, something.
1: And I found a pumpkin that had been bred to survive in Belgrade, Montana for 40 years by a great seedsman named Ken Fisher. And he had a little seed company called Fisher's Garden Seeds. And Ken passed away. And his daughter ran the company for a few years, but then she shut it down. And before he passed away, Ken sent me a bunch of his seeds. And I had a small pumpkin, early, small, cold tolerant pumpkin, mm-hmm. and I gave some to Pen and Cord, and they're at eight thousand feet in Colorado. Yep. What's is that zone three? I don't even know the zones anymore, but yeah, yeah probably it's just cold. It's yeah. Anyway, they've uh, revived it and sell it. So ask Miss Penn, Miss Penn's Mountain Seeds, and maybe we can get. Yeah, there you go, Penacord's yeah. Garden. It's on there. Yeah, I great. Just it Thank in the, you.
0: Yeah, that's. Uh penandcordsgarden.com. Right. Um, They're amazing. She's been, I've had them both on her podcast. Her for seeds and him for his amazing greenhouses. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: Now there's another early, early pumpkin that I've always liked called Idaho Gem that was bred by Glenn Drowns at Sand Hill Preservation. Mm -hmm. So if I were looking for uh, pumpkins for zone three, I would try both of those.
0: Cool. Let's see here. JD says, I'm trying Joseph Lofthouse's Maxima Grex in zone three this year. There you go. So we actually have Joseph on Seed Up Saturday coming up this Saturday. He's one of our people that we've interviewed. So just know that uh, if you want to hear from Don't miss me, that. Don't miss that.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to. You know, I'm right? just telling I'm going to be there for it. I always learn something from Joseph.
0: You know, I had Brad Lancaster uh, today that we did a recording with, and the reason I love doing these, mm-hmm. and the reason I love doing podcasts, is because I get to learn stuff. He has, yeah, he has owned rainwater and graywater harvesting so much. He he taught me things. Yeah, Not that I know everything, but that's one of the reasons I love doing this is that I get to uh, I get to learn more stuff. Oh yeah. So, well, and so
1: he's uh, they're uh, planting joseph lofthouse's maxima grex yep so let's unpack that a little bit all right please because most garden conversations around planting varieties is around the opposite how do we keep things separate Mm. how do we keep things from crossing are you sure can you get them to breed true that's that's a dominant discussion in many gardens Mm -hmm. and i that's for me that's the opposite of what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. Joseph's right on. Instead, we should be mixing everything together and saving the seeds from it for two things. How well it does, especially if it's getting hot or less water or is happening in your garden, or if you're at 8,000 feet, it survives the frost, whatever it is. Save the seeds from those things that work really well and those things you like to eat. Who cares what it looks like? Who cares what the name is? Who cares where it came from? So that's why his Maxima Grex is such a great idea. Let's take all the diversity that's come from all over and all the different kinds of uh, Hubbard squashes, and let's throw them all together in our backyard and grow it out, and let them all mix, and <laughs> save the seeds and see what works. And in a very sh- short period of time, I'm talking about years, number of years, you can start to make a big difference and what you're growing and eating in your yard. And that's Joseph's magic. And he'll talk about his new book where he talks about how oh, to do good, that.
0: Good. Yeah. You know, I found it here at the Urban Farm, I've been here 32 years here at the Urban Farm, and I've been practicing permaculture because I discovered, I moved here in 89 and I discovered permaculture in 91. So I've been practicing permaculture and forest gardening here for Twenty-nine years,
1: and And, it's beautiful, folks. (laughs) If you you ever get a chance, it's just beautiful.
0: Thank you. And I'm starting to see an amazing diversity of because I plant open-pollinated seeds and I let everything go to seed. I let Mm -hmm. everything go to seed and replant itself. And and at this given moment, we have carrots and chard, kale, cabbage, broccoli, nasturtiums. These are all things going to seed that. I didn't plant this year. And so there's the amount of diversity that has exploded just in the past five years uh, that I've noticed is just amazing. So I would guess that, you know, if you grow 15 different kinds of squash in your yard, you're going to get some pretty cool crosses.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what it's all about. That's the adventure, you know. And yeah. so isn't it fun, though, to do it that way? Mm-hmm. And I'll bet you spend less time and energy. It's in oh, yeah. And once you adopt this state of mind, um, it's less worrisome. Yep. I mean, so many gardeners. When I have my little seed company and people will call me up, almost all American gardeners, for a while I used to believe this. I know it's not true, but we're stressed out. Gardening stressed them out. Oh my God, I'm late. I didn't get planted early enough. Oh, something's going to cross with my zucchini. Oh my God, you know, there's bugs or there's this or there's that. You know, i just problems and questions and it's like take a deep breath please right you're never too late you're always early for next year yeah okay it's a big cycle this isn't a line and it's not a big wide industrial field that you have to make look perfect and all laid out right Make it more like a forest garden like yours, Greg. Let things come up where they want and reseed and give you food. Use what you like best and grows easiest there. And then all that stress starts to drain away. So I love what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Allison says, I always just plant wherever I have space. Love that. Yeah. Love that. So uh, there's uh, any squash that is resistant to vine borer?
1: Ooh, I don't know.
0: That's so, um, good question. Stephanie says, Trombocino gourd. So, first of all, I just want to point out that we're getting answers from people that are in the chat room. Right. That's how it should be. That's exactly how it should be. Yeah. No, we don't just... know everything. So, bring it on. What do you know out there? That's why I lo- another reason I love doing this. Stephanie says, Trombocino gourd, AKA Rampe- rampus canti. Has a thick stem that the boar does not get into. I'm trying them for the first time this year. How cool is that?
1: Yeah, there you go. So let that cross. Yeah, with some of your other stuff, and right. select for select for one you like, and uh, and one that's resistant. I mean, that's how we got here. All everything you're planting is a result of somebody thinking through, or selecting, or saving, or an accident, or a joke, or whatever it was. We're just joining the dance.
0: Yeah. Excellent, Johanna says I planted my peas, but it's minus five degrees and snowing. <laughs> they have not sprouted yet. Will they be okay?
1: What what kind? What has she planted?
0: She just says my
1: peas. Peas. Uh, yeah, yeah peas. they could be okay. Yeah, I've had that happen.
0: Well, and here's the thing: the place, the best place long term to store our seeds is in freezers, right?
1: Right. But it's a little bit different when you put them in the soil and they start swelling up and getting wet, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, you're more likely to lose. Here's what's happened to me. uh, That's happened to me a lot of times. The uh, Getting snow is really important because that'll actually protect it from the minus five. Ah, right. You know, so more snow, the better. And then you want to be careful later. Cold, wet soil over the next two to three weeks will be more damaging than maybe the cold and 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 the one storm that gets you. You know, I just had springs where it rained or snowed and then it would stay cloudy for a week or 10 days and it just never got any sun on the soil and it stayed cold and damp. And then it's fungus that gets you that'll eat the seeds before they germ. That's why they treat almost all the commercial pea seed that they plant in Idaho, just to make sure that that doesn't happen. They put a fungicide on it. And so we don't, you know, those are dangerous chemicals. We don't use those. And there may be, uh, you know, organic alternatives these days. I don't know. But um, don't give up. I had nine inches of snow one time on my carrots on the 4th of July, and they still did fine, you know.
0: Excuse me. Where were you that you had nine inches of snow in Australia?
1: In Catch'em, Idaho. Wow. It just, we just had one of those freak storms, and it got, you know, and I knew my carrots were nine inches, and I just kept watching them till. Finally, the tops just disappeared. And I went, oh, my God. But next day, it all melted and everything was fine. You know, and so that's, you know, whoever asked that question, find the people around you. Find, if Find you, you know, every region should have a small bioregional seed company, yeah. uh, seed library, seed exchange, where you can commune with people who have been through all those, those sorts of weird weather things in your area. And you'll just save yourself a lot of anxiety,
0: if nothing else. Cool. Allison, great questions, Allison. She says, So I have a yellow and blue, uh, I have yellow, blue, and green squash all planted near each other. Then across the arch, I have white and green cucumbers. Will they all cross pollinate with each other or just the squash?
1: Well, it, you know, you've described the color of the squash, but I don't know uh, what they are. Man. Yeah. So I, from that standpoint, I don't know. But I do know they will not cross with the cucumbers. So you'll be okay with those. Yeah, perfect. I'm assuming that they're like regular eating cucumbers.
0: Cool. Stephanie says, thank you, both Bill and Greg. This chat is always a deep breath and so motivating. Woohoo! Gotta love it. <laughs> Gotta love it. Stephanie says, last year, for the first time I found, I was found by the vine borer. Didn't know I was hiding for all these years. Now the war is on. (laughs) Wrapping the stem with pantyhose would work. Any other use? Anyone else use this technique? Have you ever heard that? No. No? One of the things, so vine borers are, uh, are they chewers? So they're actually eating the vine rather than sucking on it. So aphids are sucking bugs. Are vine borers chewing bugs?
1: Well, you know, so, you know, it's got a moth stage. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've never had. So, you know, one of the problems that... I had living in a, what we'll call a fringe climate Mm -hmm. at 6,000 feet for most of my life is that we just didn't have problems. It's the same thing Mm. you face in Phoenix, (laughs) Mm -hmm. probably. Yep. You know, we just don't have a lot of, and if you don't have personal experience, you don't know. Right. So, yeah, I don't have personal experience with vine borers. You know, we had cucumber beetles at Native Seed Search. I have gone to war. (laughs) (laughs) I know what that's like.
0: <laughs> Let's see here. JD says, can you say more about kusha melons? Tammy says, wonder if some way to use the bitter gene to grow plants to make a natural herbicide foliar spray to discourage bugs eating leaves and vines instead of chemicals. You, you know what, Tammy? That's a good idea. We should talk to our buddies over at High Creations and see see what they say about that.
1: Well, you know, there we do here in Arizona have uh buffalo gourd, which is a wild QQ bird. Mm-hmm. Um there were experiments at the University of Arizona in the 60s to cross that with an edible squash so that you could get a desert adapted uh Arizona desert adapted squash that you could eat. Jesus Gonzalez at Garcia. Garcia, excuse, thank you, at uh the Desert Botanical Gardens yeah, uh, in Tucson. Has a nice lecture about um discovering some of these buffalo gourds that were actually selected for to be less bitter so that they could eat them. But I guess what I'm getting down to is uh, one of the things you could do is find the wild squash that's growing near you. And we could do that in the southwest here and grind that up and use that as an insecticide because that's, you know, it is way more bomb-proof. It's already figured out how to get around all the insects and pests around here. That's what that bitter is in there for. So Mm -hmm. maybe that's, there's a a key to that.
0: Oh, there you go. Deb says, I have not had vine borers. I've grown a lot of squash. Is it only persistent in warmer climates uh, rather than 6,700 feet in Colorado? No, so I don't have vine borers here that I know of, but the curious thing for me about the urban farm is I've been organic for 32 years here Mm -hmm. and there's bugs. Somebody was here the other day And saw some squash bugs in my front yard and said, oh, they're squash bugs. And I said, really? And we looked at them and apparently they were, but, and I grow squash. So one of the things that I've noticed more often than not in gardening for, oh my gosh, almost 50 years, uh, I started when I was very young, is that the more balanced the system is, the less problem you have with bugs. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. do, I have, do I have bugs here at the urban farm? Absolutely, there's bugs. Do I have a bug problem? New? Nope. Yeah,
1: they just don't get out of balance.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's uh, there's a lot to be said about that.
0: You know, one of the things that uh, this this was really cool, Bill. In my front yard, I have uh, cilantro that grows wild. You know, it was planted a few years ago, and it just comes back year after year. Right. Yeah. And oh man, I want some. Itself. Right. And it reseeds itself. And one of the things that we noticed about the cilantro this year is the larval version of ladybugs were crawling up into the cilantro the, that had gone to seed, and they were coming out of their shell on the cilantro plants. Not wow. one or two, but 50 or 100 of them. This the, Our cilantro plants were covered with ladybugs' wow. shells. Wow. So yeah. it's like
1: a nursery plant.
0: Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Bonus.
1: You should have to pay extra for that. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Cody says we tried aluminum foil around the stem, but that didn't seem to help last year.
1: Yeah, that's not a real cost effective. (laughs) The whole world saves its food crop because using aluminum foil, there's got to be a better way.
0: Yeah. Well, just grow a food forest. Grow a balanced food forest where there's just always food to grow. That's my... That's
1: my solution. So let's. You know, but especially as the climate gets out of whack mm-hmm. and we start having yes. extreme events and things, yes. the disease vector and the insect vectors are going to be worse. So even if though we have a balanced one, mm-hmm. that, you know, we're going to have problems. And so I really appreciate these discussions. Yep. So the old name for the angiosperma was mixta.
0: Oh, right. You said cucu- that earlier.
1: Bertus mixtas. And those are the kushas. and so there's all sorts of, uh, as I said, uh, varieties of that. But Can- Canada Crooknick is one of
0: the most famous. Cool. So, uh, what's up on the schedule? You guys, you guys do a social, um, online social once a month, don't you?
1: Yes, and that's coming up in two nights on Thursday night, oh, same time.
0: Mm-hmm. Where at? Uh, Where do people find out about it? Go to Rocky Mountain Seeds
1: dot org and uh seed socials if there's a menu item right on our front page that we talk about it and you will find if you follow the the prompts you can find recordings to Mm -hmm. all the other Mm -hmm. seed socials we've done and uh, about half of them are a series we call the seed elders these are people that Uh i've known and You know, you've been talking all night about doing this for 40 years or 50 years. So these Mm -hmm. are people that have been doing it for 40 or 50 or 60 years and and, um, have astounding lifetime stories. These are the nuts in some ways. And I say that lovingly that got so deep into this stuff, into the seed world, especially. And so um, and this Thursday, I'm having on one of those incredible people, Jack Kloppenberg. Mm -hmm. who a professor emeritus, uh, University of Wisconsin, Madison. Mm -hmm. Jack is the author of a book, very famous book. It's probably the most thorough political and economic treatise about seeds that's been written. It's called First the Seed. And he's also uh, one of the co-founders of the Open Source Seed Initiative. Oh, very good. Just gotten a lot of publicity. And now he's he went to Europe last year, and now they're calling it Gossi, the Global Open Source Seed Initiative. Oh, nice! And so the idea is going everywhere, and it's a really simple idea: to take the idea, the protection that comes in, uh, that was discovered in the software world mm-hmm. about open source software, right? As an incentive to get everybody to work on it simply because nobody could take that work and then patent it, right? It always has to stay in the open. Yes. Well, that's what they're uh, doing with seeds. New. They're trying to get seed breeders all over the world to register their new um, things as open source. So it's really an exciting thing. And Jack's a great storyteller and talker. And he just got off of the Grand Canyon, a couple of weeks on the Grand Canyon. Oh, wow. Cool. In a, in a kayak. So, you know, he's an outdoor person. I suspect it will be a wonderful conversation. I've learned a lot from you doing, you know, in our interactions, Greg. And yeah. I ask a, I ask a couple of big questions at the beginning and just let him go. Let him
0: go, right? Let him go.
1: <laughs> and so, yeah, boy, it'll be fun for him. And, and he gets to tell his story, you know? Right. And if you – so go back through, you know, if you want to see our seed social page and go back through and look, listen to some of those. There's some really great ones. I mentioned Glenn Drowns tonight from Sandhill Hill Preservation. You know, maybe should get the award for most hours saving seeds for oh, us, wow. for all of us. Yeah. He saves uh, 2,800 varieties himself. What? He started Sand Hill Preservation. I said, Glenn, you must have started that to get help in there, you know, because you're taking care of so many varieties. I mean, we had a million dollar budget at Native Seed Search to take care of 2,000 varieties. And Glenn takes care of 2,800 by himself. He gets a summer intern. He's a high school science teacher.
0: Oh, I think I've heard this.
1: And he pays for all the materials. (laughs) It's just this astounding story.
0: Sand? Sandhillpreservation.com. I just put the link in the uh, chat box.
1: You can find varieties of things that have disappeared from everywhere. And that's what he he says. I just can't let go. I, these things would disappear if I don't do this.
0: Right? Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: That was right. the feeling. So anyway, that's a really great one that came recently. But John Navasio, who's the one of the breeders at uh, Johnny Selected Seeds, is on there. There's some really great stories. So we'll add to that on Thursday.
0: Nice, 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 nice. So uh, once a quarter, Urban Farm U teams up with Bill and Belle and Kari and Janice and Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, and we do an event called Seed Up Saturday. So if the next one is this Saturday, which I think is the 21st, yeah, 21st or 22nd of May. Uh, If you miss it, look for one in August. The fourth Saturday of August, we'll be doing one. And then the fourth week, I think the fourth week, uh, maybe the third week of November, we'll do our uh, seed summit, our global seed summit. So we'll be having a lot of presenters there as well. So we have those. Again, it's all free. Check out greatamericanseedup.org. That's our uh, bulk seed bazaar structure so that you can actually do your own Great American Seed Up in your neighborhood think that's what i have to say oh let's t- tell them a little bit just give me one minute about seed school online
1: wow it's pretty popular isn't it
0: yeah
1: <laughs> well you know we're we're coming from a point where uh we've never needed people in their own yards and gardens to save their own seeds more mm-hmm. uh, part of it's practical right yeah there have been shortages during covid that kind of reminds us right of it, we're finding out that some we don't know how much, but there are rumors up to seventy percent of some of the organic varieties are being contract grown in China now. Wow! How, how does that fit with your perspective of su- supply lines and self reliance for the future? I mean, there's lots of reasons to do that, and so and uh, you know ninety nine percent of American gardeners don't. They don't just don't. Yeah, you, we yeah. go back two generations, and they all did. You go yeah. to other countries, especially in Europe, Eastern Europe, everybody does. People all over the world do. And so we've got a lot. Of, we just have some catching up to do. Yeah. So if your goal was to get a million new seed savers. Uh-huh. Thank you, Bill. And you f- wanted to focus your energy and just give people just enough of the right information to inspire them, mm-hmm. to give them the history of it so that they know why and how important it is. And then the practical knowledge. So that they could come out the other end of a short course with what they need to get that done. No more, no less. I would say that's what Seed School Online is. Yeah. And it took about 40 years of practice <laughs> to throw all this stuff in that bucket. And it's not the only one. And there's other great teachers and courses Ooh. out there now. But that's what has come out of um, sort of this
0: cumulative experience. If nothing else, go to seedschoolonline.com. I just put the link in the box okay. there and watch the video. That is a straight video from you. Oh I yeah, was up, I was up in Cornville one day. Oh yeah, that's
1: right. I remember, it was I the day that about it, that. Started,
0: it started raining, and we put you up against the backdrop of your mountain, and I said, "Start talking." And I said, talk about Seed School Online, and it's like a four or five minute video okay. on Seed School Online on saving seeds, and it, it was brilliant. You did a great job.
1: Uh, well, I have to go. Li- <laughs> you know, I have to go online, listen to baby. it. Yeah.
0: All right. So All right. Seed Social on Thursday at RockyMountainSeedAlliance dot, Rocky dot, dot, dot Yeah, org. go to the
1: Seed Social page and sign up, and cool. they'll send you a Zoom link, cool. and we'll we'll see you with everybody on Thursday. It'll be great fun.
0: And Seed seed Up Saturday, sign up oh. at SeedUpSaturday.com uh, for this Saturday and come and join us. And uh, yeah, thank you all for joining us tonight. Uh, Allison says, thank you so much. Tammy says, thank you. You know what? We just do this because we have to. It's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not a thank choice, really right? Well, and it's, um, thank you all for coming and listening. I mean, getting some of this information really is
0: important. Yeah, big time. I I, I want to say something about that. You said it's not a choice. I tried in the middle of my life to get away from this. I started growing food (laughs) when I was 14 years old and got into technology in 1984. And from 1984 to 2004, I made my living in technology, but I always gardened. And I right. came back to it and I came back to fruit trees and I came back to growing, Right. And, you know, for the past 20 plus years, I've been deep in teaching people how to do this because the most important thing that you can be doing right now, I'm shaking my fist in the air. <laughs> the most important thing that we can be doing right now is figuring out where our food comes from and how to grow our own.
1: Boy, it's a brood of so much. And uh, yeah. we'll save that topic for
0: next but <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. All right. For take coming care. Down. Talk to you later. All right. Thank you. Good work, you. everybody. Bye-bye.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together.